I love pigeons. And I'm like, oh, now it. So glad I pitched that one. You are listening to Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. Um, we're sitting here, one of your co-hosts, Billy Brown, the other co-host, Tony Crowsden, and we have as, as guests today, Evan Lovett and Ruby Gore. Great. And they are with, I'm with Vert Creative, which stands for Visual Urban Renewal and Transformation. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization based here in Philly and South Jersey. Awesome. Uh, so we're going to hear more about their mural work in a bit. Um, some standard reminders. If you want to get in touch with us, you can write us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at urbanwildlifecast or just look for us on Facebook. If you like the podcast, please remember to rate us highly on your podcast listening app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, what have you. That helps other people find the podcast. Uh, and if you have any ideas for episodes of your own, whether it's a research project you're doing, um, whether it's just you're an enthusiast in a city somewhere, you're on the road visiting a new city and checking out the birds or the butterflies or the weeds, or what have you, uh, please let us know your ideas and we can turn that into an episode. Absolutely. Okay. Hi, podcast listeners. I'm going to interrupt really quickly to say that I interviewed muralist Mona Carone about her Weeds mural series. I did this after our discussion about Bert, so I've added it in as a second part of this episode. Please be sure to keep listening after this Bert discussion. Evan, how did you get into painting murals? Well, I think I think a good place to start is what people in the city might recognize my work, maybe not knowing that it was me or Orvert, um, and that's some of the very, very large critter murals that have been popping up around the city. They have been. Um, starting with the, the Prince of Front Street, which is the giant pigeon that's at the Burke Street station on Front Street. Yep. Um, shortly after that, we did the Token Squirrel. Yep. Which is uh, the giant squirrel just north of North Square Park. Holding chewing, a chewing, token. Holding a token. Yep. Um, I think shortly after that we did the fawn john, which is the deer. It's a buck and a fawn, which normally aren't really seen together. I feel like I haven't seen that one. It's in, uh, it's in East Falls. Okay, the first two were in North Philly. Yep. Just for people who don't know the area. Yeah, Kensington yeah. area. Yep. And then uh, East Falls, we have Fawn John, which is a, a fawn deer with uh, Philly peas as spots and uh, a large buck behind it. Again, usually don't see those two together, but yeah. they made it for a good composition. Murals don't always have realistic combinations of things. No, that's no, fair. No. Yeah. Um, then we did the Bickering Birds, which is a pair of house sparrows. We did that in Queens Village, South Philly. Uh, and then, the, <laughs> then my favorite. The Pretzel Thief. Yes. Right? The Pretzel Bandit, which is in Port Richmond. It's a giant raccoon holding a soft pretzel. Synanthropic Organism. Port Richmond, one of my favorite neighborhoods for nature, because there's these massive old coal piers and land behind them that I go looking for critters. I imagine bring it into every episode we do. Also known as Graffiti Pier. Graffiti Pier. Yeah. I just got this idea. I, I don't know how feasible it would be, but how cool would it be to do like a bus tour of your murals, but that we also like stop and like like ex- like explore the, the space near it for like wildlife. Well, that's one of the things that we tried to keep in mind. So the local critters project, which is what most of these murals were painted for, 
um, are to celebrate or bring attention to wildlife that lives within the city limits that you either see and ignore or don't see. And it's just kind of an application in general for wildlife and nature. Um, I would love to do that. I would love to incorporate a specific animal that we might not have thought of to a wall. And if it's in an area close to it, which is one of the reasons we picked East Falls, which is more known for the flathead catfish than deer. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's an area that has deer that you would more commonly see them within the city limits than say, you know, Kensington. <laughs> so that was yeah. one of the reasons why we picked that particular area for that mural. But I mean, that, that's a great idea. A lot of our murals have been included in bus tours and walking tours, especially in the Fishtown, Kensington area by, you know, different groups. Yeah, we could tour your mural. Like, just, I don't know how feasible we can get all of them in in one reasonable time period in a day. You can get sick, a few of them in, especially if you're doing something in North Philly, River Wards area. Yeah. Um, Philly is, in general, has like a thriving mural culture, one might say. Absolutely, yeah. Um, There's a mural arts program, which is a city-funded uh, program that combines murals with, with engaging kids in the painting of the murals and so it's, for a while there have been mural tours mm-hmm. so people who are scratching their heads about a mural tour, what's that? Um, in Philly it's like, of course, was, a mural tour <laughs> I painted a wildlife mural with the anti-graffiti network which is what mural arts used to be yeah, right. in at the band show in Pennypack Park is it still there? No, it's long gone. <laughs> but so, so mural arts, which started off as the anti graffiti network, you know, or movement. Now they they deal with a lot of social issues, and they have a lot of great programs out there. Vert, my organization, is sort of the other guys. You know, we're, yeah. we're sort of we're sort of doing it the the other way. There's a lot of walls out there tackling yeah. <laughs> other issues, but I mean, I think both organizations are really working towards just making the city as beautiful as we can. So I think that's that's pretty awesome. I'm glad this city is accepting to things like that yeah. now to back it up so if you've seen any of those murals that's that's my work in particular that i painted through vert um but how i got started in that started painting in general was years of my youth painting graffiti you know being an artist not really knowing how to express myself doing it everywhere i could um i also started professionally tattooing at a really young age at a while I was still in high school, I started working at a tattoo shop and built my apprenticeship up. Later, I studied at the University of the Arts of Philadelphia. Oh, cool. Um, double major. Where are you from? From South Jersey. Oh, okay. Hey. Just, just over the bridge. Yeah. All right. So, um, studied illustration and sculpture, which kind of added to my tattoo work. You know, like it started going more 3D looking and getting more dynamic and illustrative. But over the years, I'd say my interest in the themes of my tattoos and illustrations became more and more and more nature-based, especially plants, animals, bugs, and birds. So as I matured and, and kind of grew out of the graffiti days, you know, writing my name on things, I started incorporating my tattoo designs into my spray paint work. And as I traveled for work around the country and around the world... If I had a day off, I would try to find a wall to paint. You know, it's like, hey, this is what I do. Can I do this? And people would be like, yeah, sure. And as I just traveled and just collected more and more walls around the country, I brought it back to where I'm from. And that's kind of how Vert got started. A few other people were like, hey, I like what you're doing. How can I get involved? And I'm like, help me paint something. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's make something look cool. 
Yeah. Um, the Local Critters Project was the first series that we started working on through BERT. We have many projects that, you know, it's not just a one-off wall. It's part of a, a collection of artwork. And it's not just me as an artist. There's, there's many of us. Okay. But the Local Critters is the project that I started through BERT. So how did you go about picking your, your species, your critters? Well, it started off with this wall that is outside of uh, the tattoo studio that both Ruby and I work at, which is a Philadelphia tattoo collective. And this wall is at one end of our parking lot, and it, we could see it out our window, and I just got really sick of staring at it. Because every time I see a blank wall, I just imagine what could be on it. And the shape of this wall... Just this is right by the Burksell stop? Right by the Burksell stop, yeah. yeah. The shape of this wall just perfectly fit a pigeon or a big rubber duck. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I wanted to go pigeon. So I, I, I mocked it up and I asked the landlord, the owner of the wall, um, if I could, could paint a mural there. And I was like, I'll totally do it for free. Like, if you don't like it, I'll paint over it. But I just, it needs something, right? And he's like, I don't know. He was real hesitant and... You know, I kind of asked why. He's an artist himself. He's, he's actually a phenomenal painter. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, but he, he owns a bunch of property in that, that neighborhood. And he, his idea of a mural and what I think a lot of people think about when they, they think mural is kind of like a cliche. His cliche idea of a mural is, you know, something that he's just sick of seeing and he didn't want it on the wall. And I was asking what that was. He's like, I just, is it going to be like one of those murals? You know, that's how he, how he kind of put it in, in a simple way. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no, like what I do is a little different, but, um, he's like, well, what are you thinking about putting on there? And I said, I kind of want to paint a big pigeon and there was silence and he's just staring at me and, uh, he goes, I love pigeons. And I'm like, oh, now that I'm so glad I pitched that one. And then uh, he kind of started going into like his interactions. Not with everybody and... says that. No, no, very, very true. And I'm real glad he did. So he kind of started telling me stories about pigeons and how he wrote one and how he had some some of his contractors building a wall and there was a pigeon nest and he didn't want to disturb the pigeons so he had them stop working until they like oh, left the roost and then he was like all right go ahead fix that thing but I, I just happened to nail the one thing that he liked the unholy trio and i i made a couple sketches and he just loved one and then he was out of the country he he was in italy you know managing some other properties of his and I painted the mural in a day. Me and a friend of mine, Klaus Black, who's a, a longtime collaborator with me. We in a day? Yeah, we painted it in about four hours. Okay. Um, it took it took about a week of planning. We had to get a oh, lift okay. that I had to pay for, and we had to get the paint. And the majority of the paint that we used was recycled paint that we went to a dump and salvaged, um, uh -huh. just regular house paint. And we kind of mixed the colors out of that and used it as a base. And then we used a few cans of spray paint to, like layer over and render it but we did it we started at noon we were done by five yeah. eating indian food so i have the idea of murals taking like maybe because well i don't know because they usually do <laughs> um they're usually more intricate with lots of maybe that's part of it and if you're involving a lot, a lot of people, of people yeah. involved with it that's more complicated so yeah we we keep it simple we keep it bold we want it to look interesting that's that's kind of how we go about that yeah pigeons are I mean, anyone in the world will reference this. Pigeons are divisive birds. Um, <laughs> plenty of people, like, you know, the old cliche of rats with wings comes right, up. Yeah. Birders, I'll, I won't speak, well, I'll let you speak for the birder world. They don't really affect 
other species. They're like really restricted to to city area to urban areas. They don't compete for nesting sites with other birds that I'm aware of. They're not really competing for food. They provide food for. They feed our raptors. Yeah. So, you know, like, don't get bent out of shape about something that's not really causing a problem, you know? Yeah, okay. I think, I think that, that issue of how people feel about pigeons in general reflects a lot of issues in general with a community, you know? We get sick of seeing something. Or, this is a nuisance, but is it really, you know? And yeah. I think that reflects a lot on people's interaction with each other oh, just as much as we do with nature. Yeah. So when I painted this giant pigeon on Front Street, um, one of the reasons I wanted to do it so big was to kind of create a commentary on that. I felt like the juxtaposition of painting this giant, massive bird, which is something that is usually smaller, overlooked, or, or avoided, it's in your face. It's like, hey, it's here. And then when it looks good, they're like, that mural's kind of beautiful. Pigeons are kind of beautiful in their own way. It can be very beautiful. Oh, absolutely. They're incredible flyers, too. They are. They are. It's something, again, I think the point that you make, and that's the mural can hopefully counter, is the extent to which we take them for granted. Mm -hmm. That's just part of the scenery, but they are beautiful animals. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're a birder, you spend a lot, and you go overseas, um, especially in the tropics, you spend a lot of time trying to find pigeons. You know, and try and identify them. And, like the local species of pigeons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, when I got off the plane in Cairns in, in Australia, like, I got chills when I saw, you know, Teresian Imperial Pigeon fly over. It's just how, the how big is that? This is about the size of ours, okay. if not maybe a little bit bigger. Um, what makes it Imperial? Um, it's a genera of oh, okay. pigeons called the Imperial Pigeons. They're large. They tend to, like... Nest on offshore islands and then feed in main on the mainland and Got and then come back and then they, they roost on offshore islands, feed on the mainland. Um, you met the guy who's running a you met yeah. running a study on him, right? Yeah, but I assumed they were going to be hard, like more in the remote areas. I didn't realize they're right in the city and and you know I was so this is in northern Australia we're talking yeah about. and it was just so cool to see them and there's all the you know and you know and doves are a pigeon you know it's the same thing and there's all these different fruit doves and emerald doves and. And you know, there it's so often you see them just flying place to place. You'll see like a silhouette. And our like, morning oh. doves, which are neat yeah. birds, yeah. And in passenger pigeons, we used to have billions wow. of those. Yeah. Out so west, we have the ring uh, ring tailed pigeon. Yeah. And uh, they're uh, gorgeous, huge birds. They're, I mean, the uh, pigeons are great, and they're incredible flyers. You know, they do these. You know, like the imperial ones. They they go offshore, and then they come back. And as well, you know, um, in Florida, the Caribbean is white crown pigeons. They're kind of kind of like imperial pigeons, almost really like they feed on the mainland, but they grew some like mangroves and come back. No, they're heat birds, worthy of murals. <laughs> so there's a kind of a hawk. Well, there's two kinds of hawks. To talk about peregrines too. We could talk about so peregrine reintroduction. Peregrine falcons, formerly threatened or endangered, or I don't know which endangered. Fe- yeah, endangered. So federally listed endangered. Um, falcons that have made a comeback partly through reintroductions into cities where they weren't necessarily native before, but cities mimic their their nesting habitat. Um, and then what they eat pigeons. in large part is pigeons. Okay, the pigeons like just about the right size for a meal for a peregrine. Um, as Art McMorris, a ornithologist buddy of ours at the Game Commission, has put it, we bred pigeons to fly really straight. 
unlike their wild ancestors. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so they're easier, easier prey. They're easy for a peregrine falcon to just grab out of the air. They are sort of the base of the food chain. Well, the base of the food chain would be pretzels, but they're one <laughs> step up from the base of the food chain for for peregrine reintroduction into cities. You know, red tails will pick them off. Yeah. Um, there's a great video. I'll try to remember to link to of people watching a red tail hawk dismantle, like butcher a pigeon on top of a car around 8th and Market. Do you know there's a Burger King right there? Yeah. It's kind of like yep. across the street from the Burger King. Uh-huh. And like, it, you know, they sort of, they, they take I, off the head and the wings yeah. and stuff. And so <laughs> and they, it flies off and it leaves a head and this guy's like, <laughs> oh, we left the head. That's cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome video. And then um, I've been getting more into Cooper's Hawks. Love Cooper's Hawks. They're like a smallish, like a little bigger than pigeon, but like yeah. really neat bird predator hawk. Yeah, they spe- they, they're falcons are aerial hunters, right? They hunt on the wing. You know, they hunt for perch too, but they just hunt from on the wing and they they spot a you know chase a bird down. Some some do a thing where they kind of just, like fly and they like flush them, and, like surprise them. Yeah, but uh, um which are the jet sipiter. Is the genus for yeah. the Cooper's hawk yeah. and Sharpshin hawks and goshawk? They so like a falcon has long tail, long wings. These have short, broad wings and long tails, and they maneuver. They specialize in maneuvering through woodlands, through forest, and they just they will hunt from a perch, and but they also will just fly. And they can there's there's videos of them where they they'll just like fold one wing, contort their head, and, like... The slow-mo ones, like, yeah. through doors and stuff? Yeah, and, like, yeah. through these weird... They'll, like... <laughs> they can, like, have a gap between branches, like, this big, and they'll figure out how to, like... How to glide through it, but, like, contort their... You know, yeah, wing down, and... Yeah. You know, it's incredible, and, and they... And they... And they sp- most... You know, they're almost entirely uh, bird predators, although... There's one in Asia that specializes in frogs... And there's like one African specialized in squirrels, but you know that's how things are always are. You know, yeah. there's also Budios, which is the red tail, which g- genus the red tails. That's generally the, the um, big burly hawks. Yeah, well, this is the range of them too. Sorry, okay. there's some that are pigeon size, and some that are really overlap with eagles. Yeah, okay, and um, and they generally take you know mammals and reptiles, but there's some that like eat insects, like Swiss hawks specialize in grasshoppers. Yeah. And um, short-tailed hawk specializes in birds, so he never, yeah. you know. Speaking of peregrine falcons, aren't there some in Manioc that have? Then that's on Saint John the Baptist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we we painted by we I mean vert. We painted a mural in Manioc on Main Street of of deer, more more deer, but it's kind of more of a night okay. scene. And in the background of this mural, we incorporated all the names of the streets in Manioc. Okay. So it's kind of a mural for for Manioc. But while we were working with um, the business association and the neighborhood, kind of talking to them, they were really interested in us possibly painting part of the local critter series, a falcon, uh, for these these birds that are there. Yeah. And uh, we have, they kind of brought it up, and I'm like, yes, absolutely, let's, let's make that happen. <laughs> so I think this spring we're going to try to get that get the ball rolling on that and see if there's any interest in, in helping get it funded. That's neat. And we should all be friends, apparently. <laughs> but like, we should, you know, talk about like collaborations, both in our hobbies and in our professional lives. You know, yeah, um, that's one of the things that I really love about working with Vert. You know, being a nonprofit is we meet really interesting people, and we meet other people or individuals that are like, I like what you're doing, and it's helping my community. I want to help my community, and it kind of like yeah. sparks this 
this, I don't know, cooperation. This, yeah. It's, it's also, it's kind of, it's very organic, which is what I've noticed over the last year and a half. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Right? Yeah. But like seeing these connections, like, oh, I know a guy who does this that can help you with that thing. I'm like, well, I want to meet him. Let's, <laughs> let's make this, let's do this up, you know? Well, What's the cost for a mural? I mean, I know it's probably a, a range. It, it varies, and say the pair of a mural. What would that cost? Uh, it depends on how big it is. You know, it also depends if we need a lift or not. You know, a boom lift. So, like the pigeon one, you you sort of pulled together. I paid for it myself, and me and my friend volunteered our time to get it done. Uh, that pigeon mural cost us about about five hundred bucks. You know, okay. We had to rent a lift for a day and, and getting all the paint. And, and if you were paying people as staff or contractors, yeah, that, it would cost you a lot more. Um, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> we, you'd probably spend like fifteen hundred dollars or something like that. Way more. That that is actually what uh, what I got paid for that. the The landlord of that building, when he got back, loved the mural so much yeah. that he asked us what it costs, and I said about you know about four four or five hundred dollars, and then he he cut me a check for fifteen. And I was like, oh, which I paid for the next mural we painted, you know, which, was, <laughs> which was awesome. But what we what we price murals out for as a general estimate without knowing the complexity of the design yeah. is $10 a square foot. Okay. So, you know, you look at the size of the wall, you get the measurements. $10 a square foot usually covers all the materials if we bought it, you know, as opposed to things being donated. The time of the artist getting a lift, the insurance. Sure. All the running around getting paper signed, all that. You know, about $10 a square foot is a good max estimate. The thing with murals that I find really exciting, I find it exciting, is we are bombarded with advertisement all day long. You know, especially our generation today. You can't go anywhere without seeing graphic design just shoved in your face. No, believe me, yeah. <laughs> and painting a mural that doesn't necessarily have a message but just is a big, beautiful thing. I mean, if it has a message... That's I was going to say, there's better. a message there, right. yeah. But it's not selling you anything. No. Right? And I would love to, in the process of creating these local critters, which, again, is just my own interest in, yeah. in local nature, um, collaborating with, if there's a particular group that you know or someone who is intimately involved with one of the creatures we're painting to use that wall to help promote the existence of their organization or mm. their project or whatever, you know, yeah. let's use it. That, that's what this is for. It's to draw attention. Yeah. Right? And so, so Tony suggested something in there that I want to highlight with the bird Philly. So bird Philly is something that you and George Armistead started mm -hmm. with the Delaware Valley Ornithological Club, the DVOC and Parks and Recreation and Parks and Recreation. Um, where you guys take people out uh, to Philly parks and look at um, look at birds, and so not just like the big wild parks, right, right. but also like Rittenhouse Square or um, Hunting Park. And now we have um, um, we do collaboration with the libraries where we have really? birding backpacks that people can a whole you know I'm talking about this. We have people can take a whole birding kit that you can yeah that you take out a backpack with binoculars. And a field guide and maps of the uh, of the nearest green space. Dude, how have we not talked about that? Yeah, talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so we have them in Strawberry Mansion, <laughs> two libraries of Strawberry Mansion, uh, the Andorra Branch, and they're, and they're bringing them to Cobbs Creek. Um, oh man, they, that's really cool. Episode about that. All yeah. right. So if we could, in theory, yeah, yeah. Um, plan a mural that is representing a very specific animal or bird, right? 
one of the things that not many people know is we're also putting signs about kind of like a fun fact about this particular critter beneath the wall, you know, kind of explaining that Vert did it. And then, Hey, this is about this particular animal. You know, it's just, it's not selling anything. It's just information. But one of the things that I, I notice in life, and I'm sure you guys can agree. One thing will be brought to your attention. You'll have one sort of intimate interaction with just say pink plastic flamingos, right? You'll just see one at the store and maybe your daughter's like, Hey, look at this. And you're like, okay, I'll put that back. And then you'll start seeing them everywhere. Oh, yeah. And it's not like they've just popped up. It's just that interaction opens your eyes to see them everywhere. Sure. You know, I, I would love it if like these, Cooper sucks, but go ahead. <laughs> if these murals could do the same thing, if they're, you know, if we painted, love it. we painted a mural of a particular bird and it, it raises your awareness that, Hey, they live here. You might start seeing them everywhere. You know, yeah, people, I think people burn all the time and they like, I saw them and they, they like flip out about a cardinal, and uh, and like like they're everywhere. Every this week. Yeah. they're yeah. everywhere in the city. You know, they're in Fishtown, they're in Center City, they're everywhere. And people just don't know their cardinals everywhere. I'm like, yeah, this bright charismatic Christmas card bird is much, everywhere. Much like city. Ruby here, yeah. <laughs> Ruby's hair is what color? Scarlet. Uh, rock and roll red. Rock and roll red. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Uh, which which kind of reminds me, I'm up on this scissor lift, and I'm, I'm 20, 30 feet up on front street, I'm painting a pigeon, and a car stops, dude leans up, hey, that's not an eagle! <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know, he's like, you should be! Right? And then he just drives away, and I'm like, oh, well, alright, right? And then uh, a couple weeks later, uh, we were down front street a little bit more, and painting a big eagle uh, with an with American flag background and this dude rolls up he's like another eagle <laughs> like, he, just, he just can't win he can't make everyone happy what you need is the eagle death match um, <sighs> Tony we, we did an episode so Tony tell the story about yeah it. so um, you probably know him Paul Romano I mean, he's like a for the artist he did, ma- so you know, he did like, the cover of Mastodon. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. Rambo's album by the way. and uh, he's a good buddy Rambo guy. being Tony's former yeah, yeah Harker Punk band there you go. but he calls me up he's like there is a dead body go on the roof across from our studio in Port Richmond, and he's like, I- "I've witnessed a bald eagle fight, and the loser f- crash on the roof and is dead." Wait, and, isn't and that so, how eagles have sex too? Isn't that how they mate in the air? Yeah, well, they don't mate in the air, but they do it. They lock talons and they spiral down. But this is yeah, yeah. you have to try to get off before you die. Isn't that like <laughs> yeah. isn't that how eagles do it? They're, they're pretty hardcore. Yeah. Um, my guess is like there's eagles that nest on Petty's Island, mm-hmm. right, right in the in the Delaware there, and yeah, yeah. you know, kind of like how like dog fights over like North Vietnam would end up end up over the Chinese border, and same with like North Korea, you know. So my guess is like these, you know, eagles were fighting, and then they over the river, and then they ended up a mile inland, you know. And so I call up my buddy Jerry from the game. Com- he's a wildlife conservation officer at the game commission. You grew up in your neighborhood, also. Yeah. yeah. And I hop in his uh, his um, you know. Whatever it was, you know, explorer or whatever. Game, game, game you, You're full of weapons and, and deer holding bumpers and equipment, you know. <laughs> and we, we go down there and uh, we get up in the studio. We can still see it on the roof. And we call, and Jerry calls in the, 
the fire department, and <laughs> who are ecstatic. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they, they come in. And Eagle, they, heck yeah, let's do this. <laughs> and they and they uh, um, and they go and the battalion chief even came out Jeez. and like uh, and they go up on the roof and and retrieve the eagle and uh, um, and yeah, and then Jerry took it because there's a. Um, you can't just throw away. There's an eagle's yeah. uh, repository. Yeah. You have to send them to him. Yeah. I have a, I have a salvage permit, so if I see something dead, I can... Which is different than an eagle rotisserie. Yeah. Or, okay. <laughs> or eagle suppository. <laughs> so I took the uh, um, um, per- salvage permit, so if I, if I see uh, something dead, I'm, I'm able to, like, to use the environmental center, right? right. Uh, I can get it at a taxidermy or whatever, and... Um, but I don't. I, it doesn't apply to eagles. Yeah, eagles are <laughs> yeah. because of their listing. Yeah, and I was like, dude, I got an eagle. He's like, no, you don't. We do a mural about how terrible cats are. I'll fund it out of pocket. Possibly, but here, here's my question, and this is this Tony, is for the... a man who rescues cats and has a rescued cat himself. Yeah, I, I, I call them trash pit cats. Right. Exactly. So, so here's my question, and this is for the, the wildlife experts. Yeah. Um, are there enough? feral cats and stray dogs for them to be considered wildlife at this point within within an urban environment like so, like Philadelphia so they are um, a they're not native species so you can yeah. contest that on that right. point um, similarly you could contest pigeons and and house sparrows but they're uh, they're not native for one they're and they're subsidized is the term that you use for this in ecology. They're subsidized predators, okay. which means that their populations aren't determined by the prey base. We're feeding them extra. Yeah. Um, and so if the cats would, in Australia, it's a different question. They're totally exotic there, the local wildlife. And they're exotic here too, but I thought right. it's a different scale of, of, of naivete for the yeah. prey species. But so in, in, in the States or in the Philly area, um, take us as an example. If you had cats that were only living off of the sparrows and mice that they caught, um, they wouldn't be as dense on the landscape. You know, any white-throated sparrow visiting over the winter from Canada would have less likelihood of being eaten by a cat. What we actually do is we put out food for them. Right. Um, we build them nice little shelters so they're not going to die from exposure. And so we are artificially boosting their populations. And they're probably not going to die from exposure anyway. Do they fur? But the, the thing is, is that, is that <laughs> we, it means that like, like oh, Fluffy's going to know he's dying. They're going to be, they don't waste as much energy. Right. They're, you know? Um, and so they're, and they're well fed. So now all they can do with their leisure time is sit there and like, you know, plot your doom, like, and, like and, most cats do, and, or kill birds and, <laughs> yeah. and, for our purposes, chipmunks and right. stuff like that. Yeah. So, so no, they're not wildlife because they're not native, and we feed them too much. So, like, even I mean, it's, uh, this is all arbitrary. It's how you define it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, it is. I'm asking. You know. All right. Well, would it be? I mean, wildlife technically isn't you know criteria for the local critters, but would a stray cat or a stray dog be considered a local critter? In your opinion, I mean, local critters, not wildlife specific. Exactly. So they yeah. can be local critters. Okay. Because um, I want to do a, <laughs> I want to do, do a big stray cat mural. I, so <laughs> yeah, but you should have it. Uh, you should if you if you do a stray cat mural, you should have it like with a dead warbler. Yeah. Yeah. Please. <laughs> like that would be great. Just like just be honest about it. You know, like cats are an environmental. Catastrophe. I mean, they, they, they are like, they are, they are, 
And the average average outdoor cat kills something like 24 birds a year um, and way more mammals than that. And so in the city, you might say, okay, a lot of those are house mice, fine. But a lot of those also might be chipmunks, it might be squirrels, and other things like that. But the... Bunnies. They kill a lot of bunnies. They kill a lot of bunnies. There you go. Yeah, they kill lots of bunnies. And like... Surprisingly few rats. (laughs) I would would much rather see... Bunnies. I love seeing the Eastern cocktails on people's lawns and stuff, you know, but like... You know, cow eat them all, eat eat the bunnies up, no problem. All right, so let's let's wrap up, and I think we'll have other opportunities to chat. Yeah. Um, so, I'd like to thank Evan and Ruby for coming out on a rainy night to West Philly, other side of town, for him. So, thanks again for listening to the Urban Wildlife Podcast. Uh, if you like the podcast, please make sure to leave us a positive review on your podcast listening app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play, what have you. Find us on Facebook, uh, hit us up on Twitter at Herb Wildlife Cast. Send us an email at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Uh, and um, let us know what ideas you got, thoughts for the podcast, and so on. And if you want, if someone wants to support Vert, what should they do? Go to vertcreative.org. Uh, check out some of the projects we're working on. There's a donation page. And there is also a contact page if you have a wall you think needs a mural or an idea or you want to commission one. Aside from doing community-based murals, we also act as a liaison to an array of local artists that are more than capable of painting a commission mural. Got it. So that is vertcreative.org. One thing I want to get out of you before um, in your, your raccoon mural, what pretzel is that? What company made that pretzel? <laughs> There's some debate about that when that was being. Uh, what uh, <laughs> what what are some of the options? <laughs> well, so be, people were saying I forget I actually forget now. I believe the pretzel changed from the mock-up to the mural a little bit, and some people were saying this cannot be a Philadelphia pretzel company soft pretzel, and I actually don't mind. I like those pretzels. Uh, most people were saying it should be a, a Center City pretzel, the one on Washington Avenue. All right. Well, to be honest, it is it is a pretzel from Wawa because that mural is directly behind what is commonly known as Party Wawa, the Aramingo Wawa, and uh, a lot of the trash has has overflowed from that Wawa into that playground. And um, by trash, I mean you know people and you know people's (laughs) waste, drug paraphernalia, just just. Trouble has come from peanut chew wrappers. The overflow of uh, of that Wawa's draw, and part of that mural was to one bring attention to that playground, but hopefully positive attention. That's exactly what happens with that particular mural. You know, people got behind it, the neighborhood got behind it, the homeowner started a campaign and raised enough money to redo that park. Um, you know, we, we helped by repainting some, some benches and stuff and adding the mural, but yeah, so we, we thought it was fitting to take something that, you know, a raccoon could pick out of, uh, that wawash. I'm sure raccoons, there's a raccoon right now somewhere in Philadelphia eating a stale bit of a pretzel. Yeah. Yeah. Next to a trash can. And for me, I I have two feelings about this. One is like, I personally, I think, I think that's a, I think wawa pretzels are pretty damn good. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan myself. And the other thing is, is. Even if and Wawa so, is a convenience store chain in our region, yeah, which we regard as the best convenience store there is, without a doubt. Okay, for sure. And if even if you much prefer one of the like non-chain, you know, like 
if you if you don't like wobble pretzels because they're not one of the traditional like yeah, yeah. mom and pop uh, pretzel you go makers, in there and they got the machine with them like yeah. wobble and spit them out yeah they have to respect your logic mm-hmm. for that because it is true wobble pretzels are ubiquitous it is a very common food item for a raccoon and so in, in Philadelphia people might not get the pretzel culture people come here and they're like oh I want a cheesesteak I'm like okay that's fine it is just so routine for people for the default breakfast food is a pretzel. And yeah, I grew up in other places parts of the country where you can get them at a sports game or something like that. I mean, there are pretzels. But here it is just like a staple of breakfast and snack food. And those are different. So people who don't know, like the pretzel that you get at a, at a, at a, a salt pretzel you might get at a, a baseball a game, game is like the, the big... With where the twist where the yeah there's big open knot yeah, yeah the, exactly the knots are open these are like more compact yeah they're 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 usually uh, taller than they are wide and yeah. they and the holes are actually don't there's not there's not either sometimes they don't even have any they like it's the like loops a, actually touch it's like a six to eight inch section of a nautical rope. Yeah, it's, and they uh, come packed in. Yeah, it yeah. is heavy and it is thick and delicious. Generally speaking, <laughs> in a cardboard box. Yeah. Um, if you're picking them up for work, which is if you're having a meeting, uh-huh. you pick up a box of presents. Yeah, I work for Parks and Rec, and it's just like standard to have a at a, one of our you know when we have an event that like let's get together for this type of training or this sort of a. Uh, uh, a neighborhood meeting and it's like there's always a box of pretzels you know did you get Wawa to fund it? I wish yeah so that a goose mural that particular mural as is most of our murals are crowdfunded um, you know by donations so did you another post mural. like a mural mock up on like a GoFundMe kind of thing well or? that particular mural um, the homeowner that we painted it on the woman who lived next to this playground started a GoFundMe of her own um, and included the budget that we proposed for the mural. But the budget for or the proposed GoFundMe was much higher than that because it wasn't just for the mural. It was for new playground equipment and things like that. So we used the small portion that we, we dictated for the mural. And I'm, I'm not sure if they've used the rest of the funds yet, but I know she's gotten Park Rec to give them some more trash cans. We had some artists paint those trash can lids for them, and they... The neighborhood is going to be coming up with. This is so awesome. This yeah. is so cool. But that that was one example of like yeah. So we we posted the mock up, the digital mock sketch that I did, and she attached it to her GoFundMe, and it, it spread like wildfire. Thank you for having me on uh, on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me too. Hi, podcast listeners. Here's an interview with Mona Carone, a San Francisco-based artist who paints murals of weeds. So my name is Mona Carone. I'm a mural artist based in San Francisco, but originally from Switzerland. And I've been painting murals mostly here in San Francisco for the first decade and mostly elsewhere in the second one um, since the late 90s. I've had a botanical theme interspersed in my murals always. You know, it's always been there. At the beginning of my first era I used to do, and I still do occasionally, a very narrative murals describing the history of a neighborhood and they're very, and in those murals the vegetation always has a little bit of a, a background role, right? It's there semi-decoratively somehow, but uh, slowly but surely these things have been taken uh, to the foreground and they've become bigger and bigger at a certain point. 
it's sort of switched in which I decided, you know what, these things are going to be the actually the essence of of the paintings. Why do you focus on weeds as opposed to, I don't know, showier plants that people would expect to grow intentionally in their gardens? Why why grow why focus on stuff that is the unintentional? Well, you know, weeds is this derogatory term for anything that grows uh, without permission clandestinely someplace where we didn't give them permission to grow, you know. And there's something that is, I think, really beautiful and poetic about that act, you know, this this very subtle, soft form of resistance that is, um, you know, that if you see one little plant emerging from the cement or concrete somewhere, it's not a big deal. But we do know that collectively they can break the whole street apart, you know, they can actually change everything. And so, like, to me, they became more and more of a symbol of the kind of way in which I envision, you know, change to happen in general, you know, just through the persistence, insistence of small beings, you know, that, that grow, that sprout all over the place, and then their cumulative effect, you know, that that's how I see things happening in the world. I started doing probably about a dozen or so weeds murals that were not particularly big, sort of like sort of medium medium sized weeds paintings, but I painted them as stop motion animations. So I did them mostly on rooftops because that's where I'm left alone. I don't have to, you know, interact with anybody as I as I painstakingly sort of build these paintings and centimeter by centimeter I show them growing in this urban landscapes. And I've created a, a video called Weeds, in which you see these weeds, these, these clandestine plants growing over the cities, uh, kind of all over the world. I did some all over the place. And usually I painted them in places that actually exemplify this type of action, you know, places that to me are significant, for example, some social centers that make, do interesting things with the community that try to change things from below. So I did this stop motion animation video, uh, after which I started getting invited to paint these weeds um, in all sorts of places. And it was kind of amazing because that's where I started traveling because this was a metaphor that everybody got, regardless of language, culture. I mean, I started painting these weeds everywhere and my MO is always the same. It's like I'd go to a place and generally I just look on the ground and find something that is growing there, you know. And it really doesn't matter what it is because any bit of nature is actually really beautiful if you take the time to actually observe it and look at it. And so it's it's one of these things like sometimes I've had I've done a botanical mural in San Francisco where I had a, some really great reactions of people saying, wow, what's that amazing, like, is that an orchid or something? It's like, no, it's, it's nothing. It's this thing you just stepped on right over there. Just If you lift your foot, it's that little thing, you know. And so it's kind of the beauty emerges when you actually devote that type of attention to any bit of nature. There are things that we are taught to be beautiful, such as roses or tulips. And often I think we purchase them because quickly, without thinking, without really looking, because we know that roses are beautiful, 
we've been taught that and they're also expensive you know therefore they must be particularly beautiful and so we don't we we often don't take the time to actually look at things and um roses certainly are beautiful but again i i argue that it's cultivating the sensitivity to actually see the beauty in any part of nature that we need more of the which is the act of seeing beauty um in you know be, seeing beauty in things regardless of uh you know whether they're expensive items where they whether we've cultivated them or whether they grow for free you know like it, nature is amazing in all of its manifestations Another thing about weeds, yeah, <laughs> that I was going to say is, you know, I paint both weeds in the sense of uh, invasive uh, species coming from the outside, and also sometimes I, I paint wildflowers that are endemic to a place. I mean, the only thing they have in common is that they grow spontaneously. I'm curious, where was the sow thistle? Um, I think Sanchez Asper. Uh, the one on the rooftop. Yes, yeah, so that, that one is very, very common. You can, you can find it everywhere. And that's another thing that I've discovered as I travel more painting these weeds in different places. I keep finding the same friends all over the world because <laughs> they really do spread all over. I can't believe I go to India and I find the same weed like these, these Stonko's Asper, you know, still growing and still at the margins, still kind of pushing its way through. It's these pioneer plants that grow in disturbed environments and have a specific function. And, you know, that is, of course, up to the naturalist to describe more in detail, but it's, it's precisely this function of kind of healing, uh, a damaged earth, you know? And often these plants like this one that you're mentioning is very prickly. It's not very desirable. It's not really nice to touch, you know? And, but they kind of have to have a little bit of these defensive aspects to them because nobody likes them. <laughs> You know, but they have pretty, but they have pretty flowers. Is one of the nice things. I've there you go. About. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the flowers. It's funny about the flowers because, um, yeah, I know we're, we're also trained to see the flowers and not see the leaves. <laughs> and in many of these weeds, I've actually insisted in not putting a flower. There was a uh, really big one that I did in Sao Paulo where I decided, you know what, I'm not going to put the flower because as soon as you put the blossom, that's what everybody sees. Whereas what I wanted to emphasize is just this act, heroic act of growing. So I'm looking at a picture now of the um, the weed in Sao Paulo, and uh -huh. it is, um, I think it's got to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like 10 stories high. Um, yeah, it's a 13-story wall. 13-story wall, and it's, um, you sort of see it with the leaves curling and sort of climbing up the, the, the side of the building. Um, what, what kind of plant is that? Um, that's an Achirantes aspera. It's a, a little tree. It's a tiny sort of bush tree that I found growing on the freeway that you see in front of the wall right there. It has all sorts of interesting medicinal properties, and it is found all over the world. Well, thank you very much. got assaulted with a two by four by four guys the two by four um 
And when I asked them why they were assaulting <laughs> me with the two by four, they told me it's because I had green hair. It was manic panic. Yeah. Is this in a show or just on the street? Oh, on the street. This is my neighborhood. <laughs>